You're listening to a message from Heritage Christian Fellowship in San Clemente, California. For more information, go to heritagesc.org. Uh, well, today's message um, is a, um, a continuation of last week's message. Today's message is the Great Commission. Let me get my, com- oh, sorry, my computer here. I need, there we go. Oh, no, there's updates going on. Um, yeah. <laughs> Let's see here. Yeah, right. All right, here we go. Perfect. All right, let's check this. All right, today I, I think we need to turn that on upstairs. Could you guys turn that on? I have it. Here we go. All right. The Great Commission Part 2. You know, last week uh, we looked at Jesus' command in Mark uh, sixteen fifteen, which is the Great Commission. And it, ta- it says to go into all the world... And preach the gospel to all creation. And then remember I personalized it. And I said go into your world. And preach the gospel to everyone in your world. And I used several examples of what your world is. It's your family. It's your job. It's your school. It's basically wherever you spend your time. That's your world. And Jesus, his very last command that he gave when he was on earth before he went to heaven... He said, go into all the world, go into your world, and preach the gospel to everyone in your world. So how did you guys do this week? Maybe you didn't know it was homework, but it was. (laughs) It's actually one of those permanent. I mean, have you been thinking about the Great Commission? Yeah, I've been getting some feedback, and they're like, you know, I'm starting to think about it, and I'm, I'm starting to let my light shine. I'm taking the basket off my light and letting my light shine, which is good. I mean, you know, and, and going out and preaching, and sometimes preaching isn't necessarily words. There was that famous quote, you know, when necessary, use words. But I want to talk, continue talking about the Great Commission so we could get good at fulfilling it. So there's two things I want to talk about. I want to do two aspects of the Great Commission. The first is talk about the whole idea and dynamics of evangelism. And there he is. That's the E word. A lot of people hate that word. And then the second is I want to share with you probably the best tool that I've learned to evangelize properly. And it actually revolutionized my life uh, in the the area of evangelism. So first I want to pray and then let's get into it. Lord, we just thank you for this morning. And Holy Spirit, we just sensed you so much during worship and our our time, Lord, uh, even when Scott was sharing and Mike, and and we just want to glorify you. And I ask that you would come, Holy Spirit, and do what you do best. And just not only let these words transform our lives, let them be your words, but just Touch us today, Lord. I I just feel like you want to come in your power. And even people as they're sitting there, let them just feel burdens lift off, worries lift off. Lord, bring healing to people. Even during the message, Lord, we don't need always people to pray for us. Lord, you could do it supernaturally. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you would. And I thank you that you're here. In Jesus' name, amen. So the Great Commission... 
is really a call to personal evangelism. That's what, in a nutshell. And there was this study, it was a famous study, and it explained kind of the process of how people get to know the Lord. And it was called the angle, the angle scale. Anybody hear of it? It's a, it was developed by a guy named James Angle in 1975, and it kind of showed the journey of people for not knowing anything about the Lord all the way to becoming a mature believer. And it was used, but it's used by a lot of Christians to emphasize the process of conversion and various decision-making steps that a person goes through in becoming a Christian. And it shows the, the model of faith from number one, which is no awareness to God, all the way up to 16, where there's an ongoing growth, and you're sharing your faith, you're, you're discipling others. And it's interesting, and, and I think maybe some of you, you know, in your own journey, you could see... Um, where you were, like, you know, there's some people that says no awareness of God, and this is kind of old. I would say probably one these days is people hate God or they hate Christians. There's this aversion to the gospel and Christianity, but, but you know what? Through work, people can go from one to two, and then they have a contact with a Christian, and then there's an interest in Jesus, and they start investigating, and they go up the ladder, and then in 10 they become a Christian and they make a decision to follow Christ. But then it doesn't end there. They gain confidence. They experience change in their life. They get discipled. They, they start sharing their faith with others. And then they, they probably have a leadership role or they, they start serving in some way. Anybody ever seen this or heard about the, the angle scale? It's, it was popular back in, back in the day. And it kind of has three stages. You go from fringe to friend to family. I really like that. And it's an interesting take on the process of conversion, and it shows that evangelism is really a complex process in which the Holy Spirit works in the minds and hearts of people. However, for most Christians, when we hear the word evangelism, we kind of (laughs) cringe. You know, we all know we should do it, but none of, nobody really feels equipped to do it, and we get intimidated by it, so we don't evangelize, and then we feel guilty because we don't do what we know we should do, and then, then the last thing we want is to come to church and have some guy up here preaching about evangelism. So, <laughs> so I remember the very first time I had my experience with evangelism. I, you know, I grew up in the church, and I, I went to a summer youth camp when I was young, and then they, they're like, today, guys, we're get to go to the beach. And they're like, yeah, to evangelize. And I'm like, ugh. <laughs> and so they dropped us off. They did a little training. And man, it was awful. I didn't know what to say. Even though, like, even as a kid, I was a pretty good salesman. And I used to go door to door with the Seas Candy stuff. But, like, I didn't want to go up to strangers. I feared getting rejected. And they said, okay, go and pray and ask God to, to, to lead you. And the only prayer I had was, Lord, please let me not know anybody here. <laughs> you know, and it was just like, it was awful. I, I was like, one of the worst days of my life. And I'm like, I never want to go back to that youth camp again, mom and dad. And you know what? Most of you, a lot of us, we kind of feel the same. We hate to evangelize. Um, you know, and, and part of us like thinks, you know what? Where are those people with the gift of evangelism? Let them do all the heavy lifting and we'll just kind of sit back and welcome them when they come to church. Or have you ever heard those stories in the Middle East that's going on? Like there's this revival going on in the Middle East 
where Muslims, you know, you can't evangelize over there. So the Muslims are having these dreams about the man in white. And, they, and it's Jesus. And they appear to him and they become Christians. And you know what? A lot of us are like, Lord, send the man in white to my neighbor. <laughs> and you know what? We wish we could, like, you know what? Let Jesus do all the work and, you know, let him catch the fish and we'll just clean them. Um, I, speaking of fish, I remember I saw this once crazy YouTube video of these guys. They were on a lake in a boat. And all of a sudden, the fish just start jumping all over the lake. And they were big fish. And then they just started jumping in the boat. Boom, boom. And before you know it, like their boat was full. And they're like, this is so cool. And that's kind of what we want. We just want to be this boat in the water and all these fish just jump in, you know, and, and come to know the Lord. But, I mean, I'm not a fisherman, but, 90, but I think that 99% of fish caught when you're fishing comes from careful planning, using the right bait, going to the right spot, and being patient. Amen from any fishermen here? All right. And, you know, just as some fishermen have tricks of the trade, I, wanna sh- I think there's a method of evangelism that could work really well, and it's actually pretty fun. And it's demonstrated through all the, uh, the New Testament. And if we can grab a hold of this method... I think it'll change the perception of evangelism for you to this morning. And today, I hope it happens to you because it changed my perception. I was really exposed to this in my early 20s, and I went from being afraid to share my faith to being excited to share my faith through this method I'm going to talk about. And it was used by the disciples. It was used by Jesus. And it puts, the nice part about it, it puts the whole, all the heavy lifting on the Holy Spirit. We just kind of just show up and um, watch God. And, you know, deep down, I think we are scared to evangelize, but yet we want to evangelize. You know, we want to be obedient to the Lord. And, you know, a lot of us, we have a heart for the lost, but it's just this disconnect. So I hope today that some of that disconnect will be mended and you'll come out with a, a little bit idea, a better idea of how to be a light in the world. And, you know, it's kind of like, like, like evangelism on the one hand is sort of like skydiving. <laughs> Anybody ever skydive out there? You know, it's skydiving. I've never done it. But on the one hand, it's probably super thrilling. Like, you know what? It's the most exciting thing you can do, but the scariest thing you could do at the same time. That's why I, probably, that's why I haven't done it, you know? And it's like this morning, I want to be kind of like that instructor who pushes you out of the plane. <laughs> And says, you know what, you got to do this, and you're going to have a blast. And like by the time you hit the ground, you're going to say, can I do it again? Um, So what this method I'm talking about that I want to introduce this morning, a lot of you know it, is called divine appointments. Divine appointments. Anybody hear of divine appointments before? Yeah. Actually, Scott and... Uh, Steve and, and Gular were, you know, had a divine appointment at Costco. <laughs> um, so a divine appointment, for those of you who don't know or you're not sure, this is my best definition, is it's an appointed time in which God reveals himself to an individual or a group through spiritual gifts or other supernatural phenomenon through a believer in order to move someone closer to becoming saved or born again. And a divine appointment usually results in people experiencing the presence, power, 
and love of God. And usually this takes the, the, it's the form of there's a word of knowledge, a healing, a prophecy or deliverance. You know, think of how many times Jesus went about and he, he didn't just heal people for the sake of healing people, even though he's merciful and he wants people to be well. Oftentimes, that was a catalyst to preach the gospel and to reach people's hearts. Same with delivering people from demons and all the stuff that he did. That's why it's so powerful. See, divine appointments, they cut through people's resistance. And remember that ang- angle ch- uh, scale? A lot of times, it might take years going from stage one to two, but if someone has this divine appointment, this like power encounter, they go from one to five really quick. And um, sometimes we only need to, you know, sometimes we only rely on rational explanation to present the gospel, and it takes years to do it. And then if you have a divine appointment and God shows up in power, sometimes those years become moments, and it moves people really quick. And um, you remember when the apostle Paul, he was shipwrecked on the island, and he you know, he was bit by a snake, and they saw that he didn't die, so they're like, wow, what's up with this guy? And then he stayed at a house, and there was a guy sick at his house, so he prayed for him. The guy got healed. All of a sudden, everybody from the village comes and gets prayer for, prayed for, and, and a lot of people got healed. And at that point, he starts presenting the gospel. And if he would have just went from, you know, Genesis to Exodus and, and all that stuff and explained it, it would have taken a lot more time to get them open to the degree they were open after all these people got healed, you know, because that gets people's attention. And divine appointments fast forward the work of the gospel. And I'm going to give part of my testimony of how I learned all this. And, you know, it was, I learned the power of divine appointments when I owned a furniture store. So for those of you who don't know, I used to have a furniture store for nine years and uh, I had a partner, a Christian guy, and he was really good at evangelism and really good at divine appointments. So he taught me a lot of what I'm going to talk about this morning. So every morning, and my store was an excellent training ground. And it was like the first time I saw God do stuff outside of the church. Like people are coming in and trying to buy furniture, and you'd see all these miraculous things happen. It was really cool. So what we did is we prayed in the morning, we listened to the Holy Spirit, and we looked for clues or on-ramps how to engage people in conversations about the Lord. And most of the time, those on-ramps were people's needs. Like one time, this guy came in, and, you know, as a good salesman, I'm qualifying him. I wanted to know if he's building a house in six months and doesn't need his furniture now, then I won't push too hard. Or if he needs furniture because, uh, you know, today, then I'm going to push hard because if he doesn't buy here, he's going to buy somewhere else. So I always qualify him, and this gun guy, I'm like, why do you need furniture? Well, um, my wife kicked me out, I'm getting divorced, and I got a place, no furniture. So, you know, so, you know, I started closing him hard, and then I was like, there must be a need here. That guy must be kind of hurting. So we engaged in this conversation, and we developed a relationship for like four months and really tried to win him to the Lord. And then a lot of times, people would come in with sicknesses. And you know what? When you're sick and we have an issue going on, your whole world focuses on that. So it's easy to engage someone. Um, so my best approach is I would qualify them, and during the qualifying, I would ask them, you know, what, what do you need? And, and they would say, well, I'm sick. That was the, the, the biggest thing. And so I would skillfully tell them a testimony of a healing that I've experienced. And the best, heal- the best testimony I have, and I've told it before, is my dad, about 30 years ago, he fell off a second-story roof, broke his back. 
took him to the emergency room, and he was a manual labor, and they said, you know what, he's never going to walk normal again, he's never going to be able to work. And we're like, oh, what's going to happen? I was, my brother and I were in college, we thought we had to drop out and, and all that, and then a couple days later, he was in the hospital, we had these guys from our church come and pray, and he said he felt something. And then he started getting better right away. Within three days, he was out of the hospital. Within a month, he was back working. Yeah. So, you know, we're used to cool stories like that. But on the outside, people really have never heard that kind of stuff. So I says, you know, I, believe, I'm, I say I'm a little weird. I believe in a God who can heal and he's interested. And let me tell you what happened to my dad. And my dad's actually here today. He's 90 years old and still doesn't have back problems. So, Yeah. And then I would say, you know, so then I would say, you know, I think God could touch you too. And I would, and I would ask him, hey, can I pray for you? And 99% of the people said yes. Yeah. And so what I did is I started praying for him. And what I found out, I have more of a gift of the word of knowledge than the gift of healing. <laughs> Not many people really got healed. But I would like, in my prayer, I would incorporate something God gives me about them. And then oftentimes they would, uh, it would get their attention. They would look at me like, how did you know that? And then I would explain that, you know, God set this up because he loves you and he's trying to demonstrate his love by giving this perfect stranger some knowledge about you. So it was really cool. And I remember sometimes, you know, people would, I would pray with them and they would, they're in my furniture store, they would start crying. And it was cool and it was God was working on them. And then, and then sometimes they would say, are you a psychic? (laughs) <laughs> they didn't really have language for this Holy Spirit stuff. And I was like, well, not really. But um, <laughs> so I remember there's this one divine appointment I had. We had these two roommates coming in. And they're like, yeah, we're just moving in together. And um, we need a place. So I was talking to them and stuff like that. And then, um, and then the one guy was like, he was, couldn't talk very well. And, and come to find out, he had this major toothache. And it was like absorbing his life. And they were like total... I mean, they were really far from God. Actually, I think they were more than just roommates. But, and, and so I, I started like, you know, I, I just like, God gave me a compassion for him. So, so I was like, and I told him my story about my dad, you know, once we were signing the paper. And I was like, can I pray for you for your toothache? And he's like, eh, no. And for some reason, I always back off and I'm like, you know, that, that's okay. Uh, but I was like, you know, I just was a little tenacious. I said, like, come on, let me pray for you. And the, the roommate's like, yeah, let him pray for you. You've been whining too much anyway. So I, I prayed for him. And then as I prayed, um, I would just like incorporate ideas and I th- thoughts that I thought were from God. And, and like during the prayer, I was like, and Lord, help his situation at work with his boss work out. Lord, you, you know it's causing him a lot of problem. And then afterwards, he looked at me and he's like, how did you know I had issues at work with my boss? And I'm like, you know, I didn't. So I explained that God set this up, gave me this impression to prove two things, that he's real and he loves you. And they were like, they didn't know what to say. And they were like, well, okay, let's buy the furniture. I think they were just like, they were (laughs) blown away. They were in a total uncomfortable zone. And, you know, so I'm not sure what happened, but if we look at the angle scale... I think they probably were at a one when they came in. And you know what? If they would have had neighbors who were giving them cookies and doing stuff, we should be nice to our neighbors. But like that could have taken them years to get to four or five. But I think in that short period of time, God used me and spoke through me 
to, to go from like no awareness to God to maybe an interest in Jesus for or maybe even investigating in Jesus. Amen. Amen. And, you know, for me, it was like I didn't have all the words to say. I, I couldn't really talk theology. I remember in college once I got in a debate about the existence of God and it became a shouting match and it was awful. <laughs> but like this way, people are like, well, thank you so much because it's the Lord touching him where they're at. It was beautiful. And you know, Jesus used divine appointments too in scripture. Remember the Samaritan woman at the well? That was in John 4. You know, he asked her for a drink of water and Jesus used the water as a launching point to explain spiritual truths. And as they talk, it was apparent that the woman didn't know anything about God. You know, it's confused. And then Jesus gave her a word of knowledge. He's like, you have had five husbands and the man you have now is not your husband. And what was her response? He caught her attention and she said, sir, I see that you are a prophet. And after that, she was open to what the Lord was saying to her and then she became a believer. And then what did she do? She went to the village afterwards and she told everybody, come see the man who told me everything about myself. So even with divine, this was Jesus' divine appointment and it not only touched her, but it opened up her whole world, the whole village and it was in one moment. And then there was Zacchaeus. Remember Zacchaeus from Sunday school? Zacchaeus come down from the sycamore tree. <laughs> and the story goes that Zacchaeus, he was a hated tax collector, wanted to see Jesus, but he was short and he couldn't see him over the crowd. So he climbed in the tree to see Jesus. And then Jesus spots him and says, Zacchaeus, come down because I want to come to your house today. And I heard this theory, and I just want to run with it. Remember, I mean, Jesus called Zacchaeus by name. Some have said that this word of knowledge, that this was actually a word of knowledge by Jesus because there was no indication that Jesus had ever met him, that he knew his name. I don't know if you've ever, I've heard some, sometimes people get names, the Holy Spirit downloads a name, and that's like a catalyst to, to talk about the Lord. And so because of that, somehow he got his attention and Zacchaeus really had, uh, uh, he was truly repentive. He stands up and he says, Jesus, come to my house. And then I, for, you know, I, I did wrong and I'm gonna pay back everybody I cheated. I mean, he really had a conversion. And could it have been that word of knowledge just by knowing Zacchaeus' first name? You know, this has happened to other people. Actually, our own Mike Fanning, he told me a story. Where's Mike? Yeah, there he is in the back. You know, he went on a ministry trip once, and he was in Brazil, and it was just amazing. And he was coming home on the airport, and he was still full of the Holy Spirit. And he's like, Lord, give me a divine appointment. So he goes to his seat. As he's sitting down, there's a guy next to him. And then the Holy Spirit speaks to Mike and says, the guy's name is Diego. So Mike's like, you know, after a little bit, he introduces himself. Hey, I'm Mike. He's like, hi, my name's Diego. It was super cool. So that led to, you know, conversations, and it just gave Mike faith that the Holy Spirit is with him. And so when, when we, sometimes the Holy Spirit gives us divine appointments to get people's attention to win them to Christ. And if you're struggling with the idea of personal evangelism, I urge you today to try divine appointments. And so let's look at some scriptures that kind of talk about divine appointments. The first is in Ephesians 2.10. And 
And this is what Paul says. He says, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So this verse says three simple things. First, you are God's handiwork. He created you. And it kind of like there's this sense of pride, like you're his handiwork, you're his pride and joy. We had dinner at a famous artist's house not too long ago, and she was taking us all around and showing us her paintings and making it come alive, and it was beautiful, and it was a reflection of her, a reflection of her gift, and they were amazing. You are God's handiwork. You are a reflection of God's amazing work in your life. And number two, you were created to do good works. You. Not me. I mean, I am. I have my own thing. Not the elders, not your parents, not your spouse, but you. You were created, each and every one of you, to do good works. And then number three, God has prepared those good works for you. That's what I'm calling divine appointments. It says he's prepared these in advance. He sets it up. And like those guys, those roommate guys who bought that furniture, you know, they had a new place. They needed furniture. I owned a furniture store and was their salesman. One of the guys had a, happened to have a major toothache. I had this amazing story about my dad. It was a setup by God. It was prepared by God. All I had to do was go with it. It was a divine appointment. It was actually my divine appointment. And God has many divine appointments for you too. And another aspect of divine appointments is in 2 Corinthians 6.1. I talked about this last week. That we are God's co-workers. In 2 Corinthians 6.1 it says, As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. We are God's co-workers. What a privilege. He needs us. He needs you. And we need God. You know, imagine if our job was to row a boat. You had one guy on one side on the left side and the other guy on the other side. You know, both of you need to row. Because if only one person rows, you're just going to go round and round in circles. And it's almost like, yeah, God can row. But he sort of needs me. I don't know. That's, I mean, I know I need God. But for God to need me to call me his coworker, that feels almost, you know, like it's such a compliment for us. Like he's trusting us that much. It's like, you know, I'm letting my two-year-old drive my car. I don't know. It just doesn't make sense. But that's what God is saying. God is saying that we are his coworkers. And I tell you, God is a great coworker. Amen. If you've ever teamed up to work with God, he's, a, he's the best coworker I've ever had. Let me tell you another Furniture story, <laughs> sorry. Um, well, so we were open Monday through Friday, Monday through Saturday, we were closed on Sunday. And it was a Monday and this lady walks in and she needed a mattress. And she said that this was the first mattress she was ever gonna buy in her life. And she barely scraped enough money, she was a single mom, and she finally saved enough money to get her first brand new mattress. And then so I was showing her all the mattresses, and as I was talking to her, my heart was going out to her. Just a sweet lady. You could tell she's had a rough go of things. And then the Holy Spirit just was like, you know, just bless her. Give her a mattress. So I was like, so I, I ended up talking to my partner. We always bounce those things off just to make sure, you know, it's not the pizza I had for lunch. And so, so he agreed. And then so we were talking, and I was like, I tell you what, 
if money wasn't an option, which mattress would you get? And so she's like, well, no, no, I only can afford the cheap one. And I was like, no, 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 just, just let's dream. So she's like, this one. And she gets on it. So finally, I just said, you know what? We're Christians, and God's blessed us. And every so often, God impresses us to do something to demonstrate his love for you. We're going to give you this mattress. And she's like, oh. And then she's like, no, you're joking, right? And I was like, no, I'm serious. And then so I was writing her up, and she starts to cry. And then, and then she says something I'll never forget. She says, you know what? I've never won anything in my life. <laughs> she almost felt like she, you know, won something. And so it was like such a cool thing. And, you know, I was on a high the rest of the day. Fast forward to Saturday that day at 2 o'clock. From Monday to Saturday, we hadn't had a single sale. First time in my business we hadn't had a sale uh, all week. And we had a $7,000 a week overhead. So I was thinking, this is going to be the first time where I'm going to be in the hole. You know, because God always blessed our business. And in about 2 o'clock on Saturday, we're all sitting around looking at each other. This lady walks in with a thank you card and chocolate chip cookies. And one of the sales guys who was a Christian, he's like, what is that all about? So I told him, and he's like, oh, that was super nice. As he walks away, the Lord speaks to him and says, because we did that for that lady, I'm going to bless your socks off. And almost instantaneously, we have a customer come in. Boom, they come, they pay full price. Because we were kind of like wheeling and dealing, and people like, we wouldn't let people leave, we would negotiate. But we had droves of people coming in. Every salesperson had four or five people. Every single person bought, and they bought at full price. We actually had the best week we ever had, you know. So, God is an amazing coworker. You know, when you do God's bidding, He'll do God's bidding for you. And we developed this culture of divine appointments in my store. We would hold each other accountable. And then sometimes we would sort of get off focus. I remember there was this one lady, she was climbing up the stairs because we had stuff on the second floor. And she had to like slither up because she had some major physical problems. And I talked to the salesperson who was helping her and I was like, well, did you pray with her? And he's like, well, I didn't feel led. And I was like, I kind of got mad. I was like, what do you mean you didn't feel led? you know what, she's got a physical problem. You just pray for her. You know what, you don't need to be a brain scientist to figure out that she's got an issue that needs prayer. So we prayed for her and stuff like that. And a lot of times, I mean, we have to be led by the Holy Spirit, but often we hide behind that thing. Well, I don't feel led. And yet the Holy Spirit is like, come, come. Let, let, me, let me show you a scripture here. In John 4.35, and this is Jesus Talking about the Great Commission. And he says, don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. I think what Jesus says applies today because the harvest back then was ripe and the harvest is ripe today. And Jesus is basically saying, This is what I think he's saying, if I had to translate this. He'd say, open your eyes, just show up. Open your eyes and just show up. I mean, I think I went to Costco this week and I didn't have anything going on because I was just like, you know, looking for toothpaste. I mean, but these guys were looking for what God was doing. They just showed up at Costco and they were opening up their eyes. And... What, it was interesting in my furniture business, the whole divine appointments would come in waves. 
Sometimes we would have amazing divine appointments and sometimes we wouldn't. And the difference was me. Sometimes I would focus on all the new furniture we had, the customers, the finances, and I wouldn't see people. And other times I would forget about that and I would look and I was like, oh, that person's sick. Let me try to get an inroad and pray for him. We were the difference. The harvest was always the same. I was the difference. I wasn't looking. And when we looked for the harvest, God was there to partner with us, be a coworker. And when we didn't, God was still there, but I was checked out. So open your eyes and just show up to wherever you're at every day. And I look back at my career in the furniture business and when we opened our eyes and just showed up every single day, I remember there was this lady I prayed for. She had cancer and she was looking for a comfortable sofa. And I prayed for her and she didn't get healed, but she felt this peace when I prayed for her. And so I invited her to come to our home group. She came to our home group. We got involved in her life. She got saved and then she died about a year later. And she's in heaven today because one day, selling her a sofa, I opened my eyes and I took a risk. And then there was a guy who got saved in the store. We actually led him to Jesus right there. Then he came to my Bible study, my community group too, and we discipled him. And he ended up marrying the girl he was living with who had four kids with for 15 years. He ended up marrying her and becoming a a, a disciple of Christ. Because I looked, that one day I looked, and I opened my eyes. And then my partner led a very successful Laguna Beach, home on the beach guy. He was a furniture rep, like the most successful furniture reps in the business. And I was kind of intimidated by the guy. But my partner went in and he got saved because he was living the dream but couldn't find peace. And one time we actually cast a demon out in our furniture store too. That's a whole different story. (laughs) So maybe that day I was like, I wish I wouldn't have been looking around, you know, it's kind of weird. Um, (laughs) but every day we took the time to pray and ask God to use us and give us souls. The day we showed up and looked for the harvest, God used us. So what are you looking at these days? It's interesting, Scott talked about all the noise out there. Every time you turn on the TV, there's lots of noise. We get so riled up about all kinds of stuff. But what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to look at the harvest and answer the phone call. <laughs> Thanks. I'll, I'll give me like 20 bucks a little later, right? Um, <laughs> are you looking for the harvest? Are you answering the phone when it, when it rings? <laughs> are you showing up to be God's coworker every day? Maybe you're saying, you know what, this sounds cool. Where do I start? Good question. Well, there are three simple ingredients for a divine appointment. First, spend time with Jesus. If you want to be led by the Spirit, you have to learn how to hear his voice. Just spend time with him. Jesus says, my sh- I know my sheep and my, sh- and, and my sheep know me. My sheep hear my voice. So the more you spend time with Jesus, the better you are at recognizing the leading of the Holy Spirit. Second, be flexible. Inevitably, a divine appointment always comes at the worst times. When you're busy, you're tired, 
you're on your way to something, and it's like, ah, oh, not now, God. Be flexible. Remember the Good Samaritan? He's world famous. The Good Samaritan. Everybody knows the Good Samaritan. He responded to a divine appointment. There was a guy on the road all bloodied, and a priest and a Levite, they walked by. They were busy. They were tired. They were distracted. They weren't looking. The Samaritan had no qualifications, but he saw him, and he helped him. And we're talking about him today, thousands of years later. Be flexible and allow God to mess up your schedule or plan. And the third, have childlike faith. Don't disqualify yourself because you're not a theologian or a superstar. Be a child. Dad, what am am I supposed to do today, Dad? You can do it. Have childlike faith. And he'll accomplish great things through you. God doesn't really use the superstars. You know? He uses people like that. I remember we went to a water park with my kids when my kids were young. And they had a couple pools. And I'll never forget the lifeguards. There was, they were stationed at each one of the, the corners of the pool. And they would like go like this. All of them. And they were like looking and looking. And it was kind of funny and annoying. But it was always stuck to me. I was like, I bet you nobody drowned in that pool. And can't we be like, you know, when we're out there, when we're, Jesus says to look up, we're just going like this. Where are they? Where are they? Imagine if we did that. So start looking. Punch your time card with God as his coworker and say to God, I'm ready to work and start looking and just show up. Let's pray. Yeah, Lord, give us that simple childlike faith. And Lord, stir it today. Stir something in our hearts, in our souls, that, Lord, we will live the life that you dream for us. Lord, you want to bless us. You want to heal us. You want to lead us. But you also want to work with us. And you are the best co-worker ever, Lord. Let us pick up our time card and punch it every day and say, God, I'm, here I am. I'm here to work. I'm here to look. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for listening. We hope you tune in next week. For more information, go to heritagesc.org.